Hey everyone, welcome back to Christ of the Cure. This is episode 159, and today's episode is going to be a little bit different than our other episodes in that, um, well, I'll tell you in a second. Um, so initially the plan was to do a um, crash course on the creeds for this episode, but I didn't have the time to even put that together. This week is just crazy for me. After this week, things will significantly change, and then we'll be able to get back on track. Um so yeah, that's that's that. So we'll save that for next for the next episode. And then hopefully in this month, we'll have our two new podcasters in rotation along with our writers in rotation. So it's going to be interesting really quick. Um, today's episode is actually a guest episode that already happened on a different platform at a different time. Um, this is a discussion uh, I had with Marcy Morris. Um, she runs the IG or Instagram account called Provoked to Proclaim. And in this discussion, we are discussing the heart. Now, if you listen to the sanctification episodes, we've touched on some of this, um, but this really fleshes it out because there were more questions, more discussion that needed to be had on this topic. Um, so in this episode, you will hear me reference, um, you know, the sanctification episodes on uh, sanctification part one, part two, and uh, the emotions and even the armor of God, and those all fit into this, and so this will be kind of like a um, supplemental episode to that. The discussion went really well. It was originally posted on her Instagram as an IGTV uh, video. Right, that was a little bit redundant, right? IGTV, Instagram, television, video. Um, anyway, so we published it on there, Got great feedback. Um, someone had mentioned that it should be in the form of audio so that they can listen to it. And so I thought, you know what? Um, it supplements the rest of the material well. It was a good episode. Uh, we put a lot of work into it. So I thought I would put it here. So if you haven't heard it yet because you're not on Instagram or because video content isn't the way you absorb information, like me, I don't usually do videos. I usually extract the audio and then listen separately. Um, then this will be perfect for you. So I hope you enjoy this discussion. Uh, she will frame the question at the beginning. Um, the audio is not the best because, again, it was on Instagram with um, headphone mics. Um, we did also have some sections at the end that I cut off because it was some Q&A. We did. There's some Q&A left in there, but uh, there were some discussions on book recommendations like that that I cut off. So if you want to see the rest of that, you can go to her Instagram page, which I will link in the description. So I hope it's beneficial. Um Highly recommend you get a pen and paper for this one, and I hope it pushes you into scripture to really think about this issue, um, because it's kind of kind of an interesting one whenever you start thinking about the way that we perceive our identity in Christ and the heart, especially in uh, settings online. So yeah, God bless you all. Hope you enjoy it, and that's it. The question that we're asking is whether or not Jeremiah 17 non applies to the believer. And where this came from, just some context, Nick has talked about this before, several times. In fact, he actually made, you made a guide, right, with all of your posts in it. Yes, it's a sanctification guide, which by extension includes the heart. Okay. And I include your video in that uh, guide as well. Right. So um, the reason this kind of got stirred up recently is because I did a video this past mm -hmm. weekend where I talked about this issue as well. Um, a lot of it comes from a book that Nick had me read that I was even pretty hesitant to read, but I did actually read it and it was really good. And you and I have talked about how this, there's almost a, we're doing a disservice as Christians that we don't have a biblical understanding of the heart, of what the heart is. And that's what this book talks about. I think I brought it. So it's Minding the Heart, if anybody wants to see it. Minding the Heart by Robert Saucy. And so this book talks a lot about the kinds of things that we're talking about tonight. Um, but in the, in the video that I made, the question of whether or not Jeremiah 17 not applies to the believer, we'll go ahead and spoiler alert. Me and Nick are going to agree with this, and we're going to say that it does not, which might be surprising. But one of, the thing, one of the reasons we wanted to do this discussion was because what we realized as we, as we were looking at some of the comments of that video is that there was kind of a connection being made that people assume that when we say Jeremiah 17, nine does not apply to the believer that we were saying we are not sinners and right. that we no longer struggle with the flesh, which is not what we are saying. 
So that's the purpose of doing this live, just giving context. That's the purpose of what we're doing is to make sure that we are clarifying what we mean when we say that. And I will say this too, we're going to get into a lot of verses. So if you're the kind of person that likes to take notes, I am going to save this, or at least I'm going to try to. Instagram does not always cooperate. So if you want all of the, I mean, it's going to be rapid fire verses. So if you want to, you should probably get a pen and paper and start like writing it down. Hopefully the, the live will save and it won't be a big deal. But, um, so we'll start with what we are saying before we move to what we're not saying, which is that we're not sinners anymore. Um, but you did some context on Jeremiah seventeen nine, yes? Right. Let's yeah. talk about that. All right. So everyone knows the passage, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Uh, actually, let me just look it up, make sure we get it right. The heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, or I, I, Yahweh, search the heart and test the mind and give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Uh, so Jeremiah is usually broken up into two sections. You have chapters 1 through 20, and then you have the next block following that. And in the first 20 chapters, they usually call it the struggle of Jeremiah, because you have Jeremiah preaching to the people who won't listen to him, and he's doubting his call because of it. So God's reassuring him and telling him, this is kind of a judicial hardening. It's kind of like... This is what needs to happen. Um, it's kind of a judgment upon the people of Israel and Judah, right? And then you get to chapters 11 through 20. It's usually called um, Jeremiah's Confessions because he's confessing this to God and he's talking about how the people won't turn to God. They won't hear him. So then you get to our key passage. You get to chapter 17. Uh, in chapter 17, he's speaking specifically to Judah. It says that they have turned from God. They've turned to men. They have written idols on their hearts um, and in doing so. And so that's, that's an important detail. And that's in verse one, they have engraved this onto their hearts and they're not turning to God. They're turning to themselves. And so here we get to the statement where um, the heart is deceitful above all things. So the interesting thing about deceitful is that if you look at most, I mean, if you think about the word deceitful, you know, it's tricky. It's, it's trying to lie to you kind of thing. It's, um, I believe the ESV study Bible said is torturous, uneven. Um, what's interesting is that the Greek Old Testament translates it with the word that means deep. So it's, so the, the heart is deep. And the idea is that you can see all the things on the surface of the person, but you don't know what's really going on behind the scenes. They're whitewashed tombs the, to take the language from the New Testament. So you kind of get that language here. And then you get, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So the desperately sick, um, obviously, it's medically incurable to, to paint a picture of that. And it's a rhetorical question. Uh, it's a rhetorical question that expects a negative answer. Who can understand it? And then the next verse gives you the answer. I, Yahweh, can understand the heart, and I will judge by the heart. Um, and so you have this notion that the heart um, is, is deep, it's hiding things, and that it's desperately sick, it's incurable, essentially, and then we get that it's Yahweh who searches the heart and understands the judgment for what comes out of that heart, essentially. Uh, so the question is whether or not this is a gnomic or a universal um, principle, which most people systematically would. This is where we would get a concept of total depravity. And that's where Marcy and I fall on that, that total depravity is biblical. Um, most traditions would agree with it. You could start splitting hairs about total inability, but we're not talking about Calvinism and all that. The, the main premise is that man, this natural disposition, has a hardened heart that is opposed to the things of God. And so the description of Jeremiah um, 17.9 fits the unregenerate, unborn-again person. So if you want to piggyback off of that before we move on. Yeah, so this is also what um, Saucy talks about in his book. Um, he just Nick just used the word incurable, and that's what I mentioned in my video because that's how Saucy describes it. Now, in one of Nick's posts where he talked about this, your first slide was real clear where you talked about how the heart is not emotions, it's not sin itself, but it's the whole person. And that was the point that Saucy tries to make in this, in this book is that right. the heart is not, it is, it is your entire being. It's the command center. It's where everything flows in and out of. It's coming from the heart. So when we say things about the heart, we're not talking about like the organ itself, Right. We're talking about the whole person. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people take the heart and they either attribute to it 
the sinful nature itself, therefore the heart mm -hmm. equals the sinful nature, mm -hmm. or they say it's emotions, or they say it is um, you're just your desires. Mm -hmm. but, but whenever it comes to desires, they're sourced from the heart. The heart is the seat of will, it's the seat of volition, it's the seat of thinking, it's, the, it's your entire being. It's, it's your entire being summarized into a single word, essentially. So mm -hmm. in the scriptures, you'll read through and you'll see people thinking with the heart, feeling from their heart, reasoning in their hearts, hardening their hearts, softening mm -hmm. hearts, just go on and on and on because it's the whole person. And so mm -hmm. whenever you realize that, then you have to, you have to start thinking about, well, what does this mean in terms of total depravity? Well, the heart is deceitful. It's corrupted by something. But what do we know about the nature of sin? Uh, sin is a non-created non thing. It's something that corrupts something that was good. Whenever man was created, he was good. His heart was good at creation. Sin comes in, it corrupts the heart. It is not the heart itself. It is a corruption of the heart. And that's when we start getting into regeneration, where regeneration is the circumcision of the heart, where all that excess, that corruption is taken out in their, the regenerate, the born again, are given a new heart. And that kind of leads into our next section. Yeah, so why don't we actually do that then? Because sure. we have a lot of verses that can kind of prove our point because I know that I, once you hear us say that, especially if you're coming from like a reformed background, the second you say Jeremiah 17, nine does not apply, you're going to get some pushback. So we want to show you verses because that's what our authority is. Right. So let's, we have a lot of them. So I'm going to let you start with them and whatever you don't cover. <laughs> sure. Marking off anything you use and then I'll use the rest. Sure. So uh, I want to start by saying that, we are going to talk about this later, but this doesn't mean that we're sinless. It doesn't mean that we're mm -hmm. perfect here in this world. And we're going to talk about that dynamic a little bit later, but we're just establishing, um, we're just establishing, uh, you know, the foundation here. So right. the first, so the first text would essentially be those texts in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31. Mm -hmm. you, you start with Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful and wicked and incurable. But if you move to chapter 31, the promise of the new covenant is I will mm -hmm. give you a new heart. Yeah. Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart. So then you start applying this to the New Testament. You have the new uh, covenant. You have the New Testament believers. And essentially you have texts where there's a goodness in the heart because of the work of the Holy Spirit, not because of um, not because of something we're doing. It's God working us. So we read, uh, for example, in Romans 6, 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart. So right out the gate, we have obedience flowing from the heart, which contradicts the entire notion that Jeremiah 17 um, is operating in full force here minimally. Mm -hmm. um, whenever we talk about Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That, that reassurance that we have crucified our old selves and have been given that new selves is crucial to the Christian life. And we can talk about that as well. Um, let me kind of go back over here. One of my favorites is the parable of the sower because everyone knows the parable of the sower. Um, you know, this, the word of God is tossed down to the path and there's different kinds of paths that it's taken up and none of them stick. And we read about the, the path that does take in the word. And it says, um, as for, uh, let me find my spot here. It says, as for the good soil, they, the good soil, are the ones who receive the word. They are the ones who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, bearing fruit with patience. Luke 18, 11 through 15 is the whole parable. But that can be pretty jarring if you don't know these concepts, because how can the good and honest heart bear fruit with holding the, the word fast? Essentially, if we hold to Jeremiah 17, 9 applies to us wholesale, we would never bear fruit. Right. Um, and then, of course, you get into... Romans 10, for example, and this is where it gets crucial too, because if we're talking about conversion, we're talking about the whole process where it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, for everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there's no distinction. Uh, and that's Romans 10, 9 through 12. So fundamentally, to even believe, you must believe with your heart. Mm -hmm. A deceitful, wicked, depraved heart can't. And that's the whole premise of grace, is that grace moves to where the will and the heart can operate and move towards God. Um, I, I honestly, I could rattle off verses for kind of, <laughs> for, for kind of days. Um, 
just for just for a little bit one, but we're told to have a pure heart. Second Timothy two twenty two, uh, he Paul is ex, uh, teaching uh, Timothy what to do, and he says, "So flee your youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart." Um, you know, James four eight. Whenever it talks about repentance, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And it, it just goes on and on. And once you start thinking about it and start noting where the Bible talks about the heart, it's kind of hard to avoid. And there's a lot of crucial passages that that are kind of hard to work with if you take this Jeremiah passage and just paint with a broad brush. Um, but I'll let you take over from there. Um, we had a lot of the same ones. <laughs> Um, I also think too, uh, we talked about Hebrews. Um, there's yeah. a couple in Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. If we still have the depraved heart of Jeremiah 17, nine, we can't do that. Right. And that's well, the same in a lot of different texts. Yeah. And, and to Hebrews too, Hebrews three twelve, um, take care yeah. brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there it's showing that there is a position where you can have an evil heart mm-hmm. um, and you can harden your heart. And we're told, in fact, in Hebrews as well, you're told to not harden your heart. You're told to keep your heart soft and keep it diligent, keep it pure, keep it clean. We're told to guard your heart, purify your heart. Uh, the Beatitudes Blessed are the pure in heart. I mean, you can't even get through Matthew 5 without seeing this dynamic kind of fall apart. Um, right. And so you you can talk about, man, yeah, you can talk about it for a long time. But ultimately, we have the promise of the new covenant that we've been given a new heart. We have become obedient from the heart. And our job is to work out that which God is doing in us, which is mm-hmm. through our heart. And that um, I'll let you carry on before we move any further because I don't know what else you have. I I had some other, I mean, and I told you this earlier, I I think two of the descriptions that are used of some of the people in the Old Testament, David, Noah, they're all described, Job, as upright in heart or blameless. And so in Psalm 710, it says, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. Who is that? If if we're all still sitting here with a Jeremiah 17, 9 heart, who's he talking about? Right. Well, and if you think about the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, (laughs) um, basically you have a string of imperatives that are never attainable to the Christian. Mm -hmm. And if they're never, if you can never even increase to a degree because of Jeremiah, you know, 17, 9, if you can't increase to any degree, then you're not being sanctified, especially Mm -hmm. whenever you understand the concept of the heart, because that is the root of yourself. So, Mm -hmm. I mean... And many parables, Jesus says, you know, store up treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, there your heart is. Yeah. So you're told how to steward your heart. And so that's an important distinction. And I think that that's where it's kind of good to say that we obviously don't follow um, desires that lead to the flesh. And we see that in Galatians 5. You don't walk according to the flesh, you walk according to the spirit. So you live out the desires that are put in you by God. And you see that in Philippians as well. He who wills and works in you to will and work for his good pleasure, right? So... We're always walking in the spirit, uh, and I don't want to get beyond uh, where we are right now. Hopefully, well, this I, is tracking. <laughs> I hope so, too. Um, but, you know, I wasn't going to talk about this, but since you mentioned the desires of your heart, um, mm-hmm. you know, you had you had done an um, interview with Doreen on this very topic because you had a graphic about following your heart. Right. And so that's one of the questions I got a lot in DMs and in the um, comments to that video. So are we saying... I think the unbalanced view of that is say, don't follow your heart at all whatsoever. And I think there's a better way to word that. Right. So it depends. So whenever you're saying follow your heart, if you mean putting yourself on the seat and you're saying, I'm going to follow my desires regardless of what God wants, then that's incorrect. Mm -hmm. If you're saying I'm going to follow my heart in terms of working out the godly desires that are in me, Mm -hmm. that's entirely biblical and we're told to do that. And whenever you look at, um, I believe it's either first or second Peter uh, one three through eleven, he tells you to add these virtues so that you can be fruitful in your walk with Christ, and all of those require you to be working out what is within you, what the Holy Spirit is working in you, because the Holy Spirit resides in us. He comforts our hearts. He works in our hearts. Um, he convicts us so that we can clean out our hearts because we have to clean shop every now and then, right? 
Right. Uh, we, we have to we have to still recognize where there are rooted sins or we are burying you know filth in our hearts and we still have to clean it out you know mm-hmm. we have to recognize that but in terms of the idea that whenever you say someone whenever you see someone say don't follow your heart instead follow god what you're doing is you're still asking them to follow their heart in some shape or form because in order to move in the will you're acting from your heart mm-hmm. so no matter what you do you're moving from your heart. And so if I will to love God and I move that direction instead of sinning, I am following my heart in that particular direction. And it kind of gets the splitting hairs there and it gets kind of confusing for people. But the ultimate point is that every time you make a choice, every time you make a decision, every time you, you're even thinking something, it's coming from your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where we get into the idea of renewing your mind and planting the word into our hearts. Like the Psalm 119 says, plant the word in your heart. Uh, so I will not sin against you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the means by which we cleanse and purify our hearts and have a heart. Uh, I mean, if you list off all the virtues he wants you to have for your heart, you can just go on for days, honestly. But Yeah, and I really, this is where I have to say, I still cannot recommend this book enough because this yeah. is exactly what he talks about and how the heart being the command center flows in and out from it. Emotions, the will, the thoughts, the actions, and all of that plays into our sanctification. So, and you've got some episodes on that. So what is it, 153 and 4? Let me see. Um, I, think, I think emotions is 152. Yeah, so 152 is emotions, 153 and 154 are sanctification, part one and part two. Okay, so all yeah. three of those are going to be useful. I like to think so. <laughs> they are. <laughs> um, and and he, he references the Saucy book in there too. But it's one of those, this is really one of those books that, there's nothing particularly attractive about wanting to read it because most of us are, especially in the reform camp, reform camp, we're all about wanting deep theology on like theological views of certain texts and things like that. So it almost, it's underrated. That's what you would always say. It's so underrated yeah. because nobody really wants to read about the heart. Um, but I'm telling you this book, will change the way you view sanctification. Yeah, thank you, Paul, for saying that. Somebody asked what the book was. It's, I'll put it up again. Here it is. Minding the Heart by Robert Salty. It's a really, really good book. Um, okay, so if you don't have anything else there, let's move to the next thing. Right? Well, uh, let, me, let me give a couple more verses just, oh, for, okay. The, okay. just for good measure, because I have a bunch. <laughs> um, so, so listen to the way Peter talks about the saints that he's writing to. First uh, Peter 1, 22 through 23. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincerely brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Why do we love from a pure heart? Because we have been born again. We've been given Mm -hmm. a new heart, Mm -hmm. Uh, not a perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Um, Let me find another one. If you look through prayers of Paul, comes comes throughout all of those. If you look at even Paul, when he was talking to bond servers, obey your masters from the heart. Um, Colossians three twelve through seventeen. Put on then, as God's holy or God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Right, uh, skipping down a little bit, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Mm-hmm. Skipping down a little bit, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So you can see like the preeminence of letting your entire being soak in the reality of the gospel and who God is and sanctification. And you even see that whenever Paul's talking about sanctification in Philippians, where he counts everything as rubbish, his mm-hmm. harsh desire is to just pursue Christ, to make Christ known because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Um, if you look through 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, you see the same thing. Um, and then just one last one, 1 Timothy 1, five. The aim of our charge is to love is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Um, so I would say that the way we treat the heart um, does a disservice to the New Testament text. And it's difficult Mm -hmm. to read the New Testament text, honestly. And so I kind of wanted to just briefly say, I believe personally that this is an overcorrection to a progressive Christianity that wants to say, follow your hearts in terms Mm -hmm. of be free in sin. Um, And so that's, that's important, but every overcorrection is also an error. And I think that's where we're going to go next. So I don't want to, skip ahead too much. Well, the last thing I'll say before we go to that next part is I personally had the opportunity to hear some stories after I posted that video 
I heard many people message me telling me how grateful they were for the video because the usage of Jeremiah 17, 9, the danger of that overcorrection, like what you said, is that lays on this massive self-condemnation and we're basically told to hate ourselves. And there are people that I've heard stories from that have struggled with this for years. And that's just such a hard yoke to carry. And we're not supposed to be carrying that. So there is an actual danger. It's not just a theological argument. These are people that we're talking about and application of that matters. Yeah. It affects people's lives. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I would argue, and I think I said it before. Um, I would argue that if you apply this to the regenerate people, um, not only are you twisting the scriptures, but you're diminishing and insulting the work of God. Yes. You're, you're taking the promises of God and you're squandering them. You're, mm-hmm. you're squashing them underneath the boot of what you were before totally deprived. Whenever Peter says you are a holy nation with a new heart. So walk in that reality. Mm-hmm. Instead, we're saying we're totally deprived, uh, which you're not anymore if you're regenerate, uh, because that alone has this idea of you can't make movements towards God. And so if you keep saying that, then you take all the promises of God and say, no, that's not true. And I think that's, I think that's dangerous. I think, it, I think it's going to lead to bad practice. It's going to lead to uh, you know, poor sanctification on your part in terms of properly stewarding the gift of the Holy Spirit and properly stewarding that which has been given to you uh, via the gospel. And so I think that uh, it's it's very important, and I know it has been in my life too. It took, mm-hmm. um, it was a major turning point for me, um, in terms of kind of getting over the hump of what I would call apathy. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah, I fully agree with that. And I think I said something similar to that in my video when I referenced Ezekiel thirty six twenty six, when God says, "I will give you a new heart." And when we're quoting Jeremiah seventeen nine, we're basically saying, "No, you didn't." Like that's so insulting. He he did do that. So. We just got to be careful using that. All right. Do we want to talk about now the fun part? (laughs) Oh, what was the fun part? (laughs) Well, it's all the fun part. Okay. But what we're not saying. So now we're going to talk a little bit about like the, um, I think the correlation people made with that statement was, so you're saying we're not sinners anymore. And, and Nick and I are not saying that we know, you know, first John one eight, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Like we know that. So we're not saying that we're not sinners. We're not saying that we are not still struggling with the flesh. All right. Why don't you talk about that? So I, I, I kind of take a position that people need jerk at, and I can't remember if you agree with me here. I, I think it's wrong to classify Christians as sinners. Um, I think that we are sinners practically and that mm-hmm. we sin on occasion, but we're not sinners categorically. Right. Um, and I think that we can see this, we can see this in our day to day. We see with homosexuality. Mm-hmm. We constantly tell people you can't be a homosexual Christian. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, because you can't attribute, you can't put an adjective of sin before Christian. But what happens whenever you say that I'm a sinner and a Christian? You're doing the same exact thing. Same you're, thing. Just, mm-hmm. you're just making it broader. You're making it worse. You're making it encompass all that is sin. Um, in the New Testament, you won't find anyone who's regenerate being called a sinner. You will be, mm-hmm. they'll be called saints, they'll be called the holy ones, they'll be called the elect, they'll be called the chosen ones. This doesn't mean that they don't sin. We, we are not sinners, we are saints who sin on occasion. And this mm-hmm. is crucial, and I think it's important for First John, because First John, mm-hmm. first chapter, does say that anyone who says they don't have sin is a liar and makes them out to be a liar. We have to recognize that. Sinless perfectionism is a heresy. And mm-hmm. a condemnable heresy, according to John. It's very, very serious. But whenever you read through the next few chapters, what is, what is the thing he keeps saying? He says, those who make a practice of sin are the ones who don't have the truth in them. Mm-hmm. What, what is normative for you? Is it normative for you to be a sinner? Or is it more normative for you to desire to love God? And that's where assurance is found because of the fruit and what comes out of that. So whenever you think about the normative pattern of your life, you should be able to say, I'm a saint. I've been redeemed. I've been growing. It may be small, it may be large, but either way, I see the growth and it's there. And that's John's entire argument. If you are a practicer of sin, if you are a sinner categorically, then you are an heir. And every time you yeah. see sinner, if you read through the Psalms, start with Psalm 1 and think about the word sinner. What does it say about the sinners? 
They sit with the sinners and the sinners will be burnt up and they'll be blown away like shaft. Does mm -hmm. that describe the Christian who's been redeemed by the Christian? Uh, right. be redeemed by Christ? I, I don't think so. And so um, I could expand on the analogy that I told you before, but that's, that's essentially that. Um, and I've already said we, we clean house. Repentance is something we have to do daily. We're always going to slip up. We're always going to store things that we shouldn't store because we're growing. We're human. It's progressive and everyone's going to look mm -hmm. different in their walks. Um, and so I think that's, um, that's important, but I don't know if you have anything in particular you wanted to say on that. I wanted you to talk about the self-fulfilling prophecy thing. Right. So, um, I like to use an analogy that I made up. Um, I think it was like last year when I was thinking through this. So everyone knows whenever you watch a movie, um, you, you watch a movie with a good guy, you know, he's a really good guy. He's going through life. He's doing all the right things. And you're like, Oh, this guy, this guy's a stand-up guy. He's doing things that are amazing. Then all of a sudden something happens and he snaps and he murders something. What's the first thing that goes through your head? What just happened? This really good dude just murdered this person. That was so out of character. Mm -hmm. Now take a different movie where it's a bad guy and all he's doing is he's murdering people the whole time. What do you think about the murderer? That's normal. That's what he does. But what'd you think about the guy who was good? That was out of character. Right. For, for us, we should be the saint who is struck by the out, the, the uncharacteristic sin in our lives, because mm -hmm. that's not who we are. We are mm -hmm. in Christ. We are redeemed. We are new in Jesus. And so if we think of ourselves as only sinners, what are we going to do? I'm a sin. sinner. I'm a, I'm a sinner anyway. It's normal. That's what I do. Uh, and, and justify it. We're going to use Jeremiah 79 to justify it. Right. Um, and, and it's really a false sense of humility to pretend that, well, you know, I'm just going to keep saying I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. But really, you're just downplaying the work of God. Because whenever you look mm -hmm. at what the New Testament says, whenever you look at Paul's pattern of sanctification, I talked about this in my episode, I think. He always says, you used to be this, mm -hmm. but now you are this. We love, we love 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 because it talks about homosexuality, which right. we, that's a whole different topic. But it says, these are the people who want to inherit the kingdom of God and list a couple of sins. And then it says, as were such of you, but now you have been washed, now you have been clean, and your hearts have been purified by the work of Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, 1. If you are in Christ, set your mind on Christ because that is where your life is. Mm -hmm. So you see that pattern continuously. If you are in Christ, put on the new man, put off the old. You don't live in the old man and just sit in it. You put yeah. on the new man, and then it should be shocking whenever you sin. And I would argue that that deepens repentance. It deepens your desire to love God because it's not normal, and you know who you are in Christ because you're meditating on it daily. Uh, whenever you are in your mind always a sinner and you sin, it's going to be like, well, it's just another time to repent, which is a false repentance. You can kind of go down that rabbit hole all you want, but that's kind of the way I uh, frame it mentally uh, whenever I was thinking through it. Okay. So what do you think, what, what, what verse or what text of scripture do you think people will try to use to disagree with us on this? <laughs> I know what you want me to say. <laughs> I'm waiting for it. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, so the big question is Romans, Romans 7. Um, everyone goes to Romans 7, and the first thing to note is that Romans 7 is difficult. Um, a second thing to note is that you can't take one passage of Scripture and ignore every passage that we, li that we were listed off about the heart. You can't just say, no, nope, sorry, this one passage cancels out everything you've been saying. Because even whenever you talk about, even whenever you talk about Romans, what happens in chapter 6? Thank God that you have become obedient from the heart. You have died in your sin and you have been raised with Christ. And that was in chapter six. And then whenever you get to chapter eight, you are no longer condemned. You are walking in the spirit and new life and the Holy Spirit comforts you in your heart. Um, so we have to realize that there's a context, obviously. Romans seven is a notoriously difficult passage in terms of whether or not Paul was already born again or whether or not he wasn't. I have switched my position. I used to believe that he was. Um, that he was born again and that he was just struggling with sin. But now I take the position that he wasn't born again. Uh, and I don't particularly want to go through all that right now, but, but you have an episode I, on it though. I do have an episode on it. If anyone wants to hear all those arguments, um, I don't know what number that one is though. <laughs> I have it somewhere. Hang on episode 142. But if I open up the Bible real quick, I can give you one hint of why I think that this isn't the case. Um, 
put in some filler music here. <laughs> Where's our band? Do we not have a band? We don't have a band. I'm sorry. Um, man, I, I don't want to. Yeah, I, I don't. You can look while I'm looking at some of these questions. Sure, go ahead. Because um, I haven't looked at a single one. I get so distracted by these. Yeah, power to you. I, I don't. I try not to look at them either. Okay. A lot of people just saying hi. Hi. <laughs> How's it going? Somebody from Houston. Hey, I'm going to Houston next weekend. Somebody from Florida. I'm not going to Florida next and weekend. And Alabama, yay. I'm not going to Alabama either. <laughs> not today. Uh, oh, I think Paul was answering some questions for us regarding sin. Y'all are so encouraging in the comments. I'm glad y'all are enjoying the conversation. Well, I... I don't want to do a disservice to the text um, because it, it is a hard text and you have to really think through it. Um, mm -hmm. Like I said, episode 142. But one of the key things that you'll notice is that in the text, he's saying that he's under the power of sin. But previously, mm -hmm. he has said that he was free from the power of sin. Mm -hmm. um, and so the interpretation for the unregenerate, unborn again, Paul in this text is essentially saying he's speaking to Jews, talking about salvation by the law. And so that's the distinction. Really, the crux of the matter is, do you believe that Paul is talking about salvation by the law or sanctification by the law? Mm -hmm. If you believe he's talking about salvation by the law, I would posit you would have to take the unregenerate view. Um, sanctification, you could take either view. Um, right. That's kind of, that's kind of the, the way I take that. I like the, uh, if anyone really wants a lot, a lot more detail on that, Douglas Moo's commentary yeah. on Romans is like an encyclopedia. Absolutely. Actually, like I two use, encyclopedias. <laughs> he, he's one of the one of the people I used whenever I was looking at the text too. I believe I believe I cite him. In that you episode. do it's in that episode. Yeah, yeah, you do. I listened to it recently. Um, okay. Do we have any other things that we want to talk about or mention? That's all I had. Well, well I would I would say this too. There's another text that would kind of speak to this issue, and it would be in First Timothy. I can't remember where, but Paul says, "Oh wretched man that I." that I was right. Mm -hmm. um, and that's another one where, okay. Um, you say that Christians aren't called sinners in the text, which you won't find, mm -hmm. but Paul himself calls him a wretch. Now, whenever there's, it's also a difficult passage. There's two different interpretations that one, he is humbling himself and saying that he's the chief of sinners amongst all other people. And it's just a, a posture of humility uh, in terms of understanding grace. But whenever you look at the passage, it directly ties back to who he was previously. And then he's talking about that anyone can be saved because even he, the chief of sinners was saved. Mm -hmm. And so there's two primary interpretations that comes again to the same point with Romans seven. It's a more difficult text, but it doesn't cancel out what the rest of the new Testament says on this. Right. Um, and so I think that that's important. And um, yeah, I kind of spoke to sanctification, how I think it's vital that we understand this for sanctification, but I'm not, I'm not sure if we left anything out or not. I think we did. Um, I think all the questions, too, that we looked at the Q&A questions, and a lot of y'all's questions in the Q&A that we put up were already going to be answered in the conversation. So I, I don't, I'm not aware of any of the questions in the Q&A that we didn't cover yet. Um, is there anything else that we need to discuss? Why are we wearing sweaters? Well, I'm at my mom's house and it's freezing here. So that's why I'm wearing one. I don't know about Nick. It dropped in temperature around here. It also helps with the mosquitoes. So <laughs> nice. Um, I'm outside because uh, Amelia and Becca read books in the living room now since, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so one thing about the, the whole concept that becomes difficult is that um, people are worried that by saying these things, we are going to elevate ourselves mm -hmm. um, and, and understanding ourselves in this way. I would argue that it does the complete opposite because whenever you're talking about how you're a wretched sinner 
all the time, all you are doing is focusing on yourself, on yourself. and your flesh. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever you think about this in terms of what we're saying about everything being wrapped up in what Christ has done for you, you're focusing on what Christ has done for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was actually just doing a study. Um, I was having to do exegetical work on Philippians um, uh, 3, 12 through 16, I believe. And he's talking about, I'm going to run the race, not looking to the past. And some people are like, well, that means that you shouldn't look to the past at all. Um, and this has some merit to it that we should consider. Um, it doesn't mean it exactly in the same way everyone thinks because he's, he's just listed off all these things that were considered honorable. And he says, I count them all rubbish for the sake of Christ. And so he's saying, I'm not looking back to those things that would give me position with God in my mind. I look towards the goal, which is Christ himself. But mm-hmm. that should be telling for us. Are we looking at the things in the past or are we moving ahead in the grace of God, remembering where God has brought us from, remembering what the price was paid so that we could have new life and glorification, sanctification, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and I, I just really, I found in my own life that whenever I was struggling with apathy, my tendency was to focus on how wretched I was for seeing in apathy. But that's not a proper application of understanding that we're free from the power of sin. Um, we're, of course, we're not free from the presence of sin, but we're free from the power of sin because what you're doing is you're giving it power. You're you're letting it rule over your lives and you're focusing so much that you forgot the power of the one who lives within you, the power mm-hmm. of the resurrection, the power of the new man, et cetera. Uh, and so the key for me was actually studying church history and Christology. Mm-hmm. Um, some people be like, well, how'd that happen? Well, because it made me focus more on Christ. Yeah. Um, and it made uh, studying church history for me put the gospel front and center in my life to where I had no choice but to observe the gospel more. And that's kind of where I'm at with that. Yeah. You had mentioned 1 Corinthians 6. Yeah. Where he says it in the text, you were once this, but now you're not. Right. And that made me think of another, we're talking about how this is very, um, an unbalanced view in the reformed camp, but one of the reformed favorite verses comes from Ephesians 2, right? When we say, and you were dead, and trespasses and sins. And when you keep going down that, it says, but God right. made you alive in Christ. So when you mentioned first Corinthians six, it made me automatically think of Ephesians two. And I had not written that one down, but that's just another text where Paul is showing you were once this, but now you're this. So go live like it. Absolutely. And I, yeah. And I would argue that if you, if you sat down and looked through just the Pauline corpus, that would be the pattern mm-hmm. you see every time. Right. Um, I, I actually had to work through um, all of his letters over the last two semesters. And that's seriously just one after another. It's, it's just continuous. Here's a pack of theological truths about what Christ has done for you in the gospel. Here's the application. Because mm-hmm. of all of this, this is what you do. In fact, that's how Ephesians 1 starts off. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 1 all about the glorious work of the Trinity in the lives of the believers. And then it gets to uh, our issue you're dead in your sins you were dead in your sins it's not present tense but right. god has brought you to life you are now his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works and prepared beforehand that we should walk in those good works mm-hmm. again you can't do good works if your heart isn't regenerate because in order to do good works you have to have to have the will to do good works and it's god of course who works in us to will but we have to understand that dynamic and you said it already a couple of times uh mining the heart by robert saucy foundationally and utterly changed my life. Whenever people <laughs> say like, what's, what's one book that rocked your world? That's always the, honestly, the only book I can think of that radically changed my life to where I can say, comes to my mind every time. Um, because it's, it's such a crucial matter and we have so many misconceptions about the heart and people will just talk about willy nilly, specifically as if it's emotions or sinful nature, like we talked about earlier. Um, and that's just not the Hebraic understanding. And mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot yeah, of things rem- that can be said, I think. Uh, if you remember, too, you know, when you told me and Paul to read that book, I was super hesitant, right? Because there was another book I really wanted to read. And you were like, no, you need to read this book. And so I finally started reading it. And if you remember, I think I, I didn't even make it out of the preface before I sent you a message. And I was like, um, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even make it to the book yet. So it really is an awesome book. And it will really make you think which is something I think, sadly, we're not doing enough. <laughs> we need to think, you know, critically a little bit more often. Right. And so this, is, this kind of goes into back to 
you know, the overcorrection balance issue. If you find yourself for some reason looking at your identity in Christ and start thinking too highly of yourself, you need to take a step back, balance mm-hmm. it, and realize it's by the grace of God and think about where you were. And mm-hmm. obviously you have to keep that balance. If you find yourself following into this pit of despair and defeat, then you also need to take a step back and realize, wait, wait a minute. Romans six is talking about the here and now. And that's where you get the tension mm-hmm. of the already, not yet. Mm-hmm. We hear that. It's almost a cliche. We hear it all the time, yeah. but that's the truth. Mm-hmm. We're already saints, but we're also being sanctified. Right. And that's important. So I think if, as we're wrapping this up, sure. I think what Nick and I are trying to say for all of us that are listening we're not saying that Jeremiah 17, 9 should be like taken out of the Bible. What we're saying is we need to, when we're using it, make sure we're using it to the right audience. It All is right. a verse that is, it should be used. It, it is one of our verses for total depravity. He's already talked about that. Um, but we need to make sure that when we're applying it, that we're not throwing it onto the regenerate believer because that's not who it's for. I, I have a thought on that too that just came to mind was whenever you're talking about Jeremiah seventeen nine and you're thinking about it and you're thinking about what the Bible says about the word of God and the Holy Spirit. So if we think about the Greek translation of the Old Testament where it says that it's deep, you know, it's it's underneath the surface, you're hiding it, you can't really tell what's going on. And I think Saucy talks about that a little bit too, how there's levels, right? Mm-hmm. But what is the what does the word do? According to Hebrews, the word cuts through mm-hmm. the bone and marrow in the heart and exposes. Everything comes to light. It's revealed. The Holy Spirit convicts and reveals where you need to repent. That will happen as you walk with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those things are there. There's remnants still, but they're also being exposed, weeded out, or to put it biblically, John 15, being pruned so that you can bear more fruit. You're being trimmed mm-hmm. by the vine dresser so that you can bear more fruit as you abide in Christ. Not abide in your sinful nature, as right. you abide in Christ. And that's crucial. Yep. Okay. I think that's all we had, unless there's other questions in here that I haven't seen. I see some questions in that. Sure, let's see. Created me a clean heart. That one's been quoted in the comments a couple of times. Right. Oh, you think about David. David was a man after mm-hmm. God's own heart. Own heart, yeah. I mean, how do, how do you reconcile that, really? Uh, and that's where canonical um, canonical context or the flow of the context in terms of the overarching narrative of redemption is so important. Because like I said, Jeremiah 17 and Jeremiah 31, mm-hmm. they have a deceitful heart. They have a new heart. It's, it's very yeah. crucial. Um, yeah. Let's see. Yeah, you look at some of those. Yeah, you look, you look too. Okay. <laughs> Somebody's asking about a verse in Matthew. Yeah, I, I'm looking it up, but I'm going to warn you, uh, if it's too difficult, I'm not going to try to tackle it. I'd rather sit back. <laughs> I'd rather sit back and study it than try to make a conjecture off of it. Right. That's um, wise. <laughs> uh, 41. Since in terms of accountability in the church, those who say they're Christians, we should then lovingly, truthfully confront them. Yep. Um, no, I'm just reading. Watch and pray. So Matthew 26, 41 is uh, watch and pray so that you may not enter in temptation. Um, specifically, that's before the Holy Spirit was given to the disciples, for one, in the Garden of Gethsemane. So that, that's important. Um, two, we, we all need to watch out for temptations. We can all be enticed by the remnants of sin in our lives. Um, I think that's pretty much it. We can all have things that make us... <laughs> desires and it fishes it out of us what what's wrong someone just asked if you're my brother <laughs> brother no uh, no she she's in alabama I i'm know. in texas well my sister lives in virginia that doesn't make any sense compared to what i just said though but <laughs> <laughs> i live in texas you live in well my sister lives in virginia well, well i'm saying you even, don't have to just because you, your siblings don't always have to live in the same state is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. I, yeah. I was thinking about in terms of, like, place of birth. I was, born in, I was born in Houston, so that's one of those things. Well, no, he is not my brother. No, we're not siblings. Um, um, the book is Minding the Heart by Robert Saucy. Right. Um, who is, which, by the way, I'll tell you this, and this is going to shock some people. That book also further... I'd say we weren't going to talk about it, but I'm just going to say it. That book also further solidified my views on Calvinism. 
And so if you're hearing all this and you're like, this doesn't fly with, you know, reform soteriology, that book radically solidified and gave me a foundation for understanding the heart in terms of um, total depravity and regeneration, irresistible grace. And, mm-hmm. and I believe he was, he's a dispensationalist, a progressive dispensationalist, um, but he was a Calvinist. So there's an interesting little tidbit to throw out there. And it talks about biblical meditation. It talks yes, about it sp- spiritual disciplines. It talks about emotions. It, it talks about everything. Um, it's, I would, I would argue that it's the best book on sanctification I've, I've read. And I've read quite a few because I have a particular interest in sanctification. Because who, I mean, I think all of us do really at heart. So, yep. um, so there's a long, long one here. Did you see that one? I don't know which one you're talking about. By Chelsea. Makes sense in terms of accountability in the church. Yeah, I was reading that one a second ago while you were. For someone who rejects the gospel. So I hope that was a solid episode. I know the format is different. I know it's longer than usual as well. Hopefully my quick mixing was um, successful and making it more bearable in terms of audio quality. But that's it. And until next time, God bless you all and have a wonderful, wonderful weekend.